0: Luke 4, 1 to 13, The Temptations of Jesus. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned home from Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, one does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him an instant, in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all their authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to you or anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command the angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil was finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time.
1: Would you pray with me? O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It was April 1963, and Dr. Martin Luther King and his friends were ready to begin a a deeply contemplated and planned nonviolent action in against segregation in Birmingham, Alabama. And they received word that their money had run out. Their money to bail out the protesters from jail. 300 people were already in jail. And there were at least 50 planning to march the next day. On that Good Friday in April 1963, Dr. King writes that he was in a room with 24 of his co-workers and they encouraged him not to march. We need you to help us raise money. We need you to rally the troops. We can't risk you getting put into jail. We need you. Don't march. On top of all of that, his wife was home, having just given birth to what I believe was their fourth baby. But he knew that others were looking to him. He knew that this action had the potential to change the conversation. And he describes this moment by saying, I sat in the midst of the deepest quiet I have ever felt with two dozen others in the room. There comes a time in the atmosphere of leadership when a man surrounded by friends and allies realizes he has come face to face with himself and with ruthless reality. I was alone in that crowded room. He went into his bedroom, put on his work clothes, and came out ready to march. The fears came to pass. Dr. King, along with many others, was arrested. The jails were so full that they put him in solitary confinement. And again, he says, I had never truly been in solitary confinement. But God's companionship does not stop at the door of a jail cell. God had been my cellmate. God had been my cellmate. It was in that jail that someone slipped a newspaper underneath the door, and in that newspaper was a letter that had been written by clergy people, mostly men probably at that point in time, um, distancing themselves from his action. Words that were meant to, to say, that's not who we are and we can't condone that, words that Um, wanted to cover their bases with their constituents. Words to say we are not a part of this conversation and we do not condone Dr. King's actions. Words that did not recognize the complexities of the situation nor the simple truth that there was injustice to be confronted. Imagine How Dr. King must have felt in that cell. A new baby at home. Hundreds of his fellow marchers in jail. Out of money. Isolated from his friends. Dismissed by his colleagues. God as his cellmate. I'm so grateful to the choir for uh, the excuse to prepare this letter from a Birmingham jail next to this text that we have today. Because imagine Jesus out in the wilderness for 40 days by himself. A different kind of solitary confinement. But still following the lead of the Spirit. Jesus is hungry. Jesus is tired. And here comes three temptations. The temptation to make food from nothing. The temptation to power. The temptation to escape the natural laws of gravity. Nothing inherently wrong with any of those, just as it would have been okay for Dr. King to say, you know, I'm going to sit this march out. Maybe it's not the wisest thing to do. Jesus, though, is called to live within the limits of his humanity. He is called to something deeper than his desire to escape the discomfort of the moment. Jesus is called to journey through the wilderness. Wilderness is defined in the dictionary as a wild and uncultivated region, a forest or a desert uninhabited or inhabited only by wild animals, a tract of wasteland. As we all know, wilderness can be beautiful, but wilderness is also scary and stark. Wilderness is not only a physical reality. It is part of our story as human beings. At times in our life, usually more often than we would like, we find ourselves in a space of wilderness, a place uninhabited and strange where we are unsure of how we got there and how we're going to get out. The first summer that we were married, my husband and I decided to go on a backpacking trip. We were both fairly experienced backpackers and we had our packs full and and slimmed down to just what we were gonna need for our trip. Our water bottles were full and, and we had our water filters and the map The topo map, you remember those big paper maps we used to pull out? Uh, It showed that there were lots of little streams all along the way, so we thought, you know, we'll be okay. But we hiked, they said about five miles to the river, and we felt like we had hiked five miles or more, and there was no streams to be found. They had all dried up. The trail just kept going and going. And we didn't have a GPS to tell us where we were. We had no idea where we were, and we... Finally late hit this fire road and decided to just pinch, pitch our tent on this fire road and spend the night We used our last cup of water To boil our dinner, you know make our dinner out of the freeze-dried food we had brought Now this is not my proudest wilderness moment <laughs> But the next morning as we debated on whether or not to keep going and wondered how long it would be until we found water, I declared that we were going back, we were going to the car, and we were checking into the bed and breakfast that we had passed (laughs) on the way up to Backpack that morning. So that's what we did. Wilderness is not my favorite place, (laughs) nor is it many of ours. And the season of Lent, though, is not about the cozy, warm, and well-hydrated night we spent in the bed and breakfast. The season of Lent is about wilderness, about that in-between space where you're unsure where you are, where you're not sure you have enough to keep going, where you're not sure you can trust anyone to give you directions to where you need to be. Lent is about the very human spaces of loneliness, abandonment, and limitations that force you to go deeper. Our Women's Retreat speaker last weekend, Mary Ann Borg, said this, Lent is the season where the question is called. The question is called on the way that we are living our lives. Are we living closest to our deepest values? Are we trying to shortcut our way to our deepest soul's fulfillment? Are we living guided by fear or by love? Are we staying with God in the solitary confinement places of our life? Lent is the season in the church's life where we are asked to ask ourselves these questions. This is why we often give something creaturely up. We give up chocolate or dessert or coffee or extra sleep or social media. We choose to enter the wilderness with Jesus and ask those deep questions. Dr. King adds powerful questions that he wrote from his cell. When he sets up what the stakes are, for our willingness to go into the wilderness. He says, so the question is not whether we will be extremists, but what kind of extremists will we be? Will we be extremists for hate or for love? Will we be extremists for the preservation of injustice or the extension of justice? Jesus Christ, he continues, was an extremist for love, truth, and goodness, and thereby rose above his environment. Perhaps the South, the nation, and the world are in dire need of creative extremists. Those words still feel very true today. The world is in dire need of creative extremists. What allowed Jesus and Dr. King to go deep into these questions is that they were rooted in a larger story. Jesus quotes over and over from Deuteronomy in response to the devil, going back to those words and that story of the exodus, that story of freedom. He knew that freedom comes from time in the wilderness, not the quick fix. When Dr. King read the letter published in the newsletter, from his fellow clergymen, he began to write his reply. In his solitary cell, he wrote on the margins of that newsletter because he didn't have paper. He wrote on scraps of paper that other prisoners handed to him. He invited his fellow clergy and us to go deeper, to risk being an extremist for love, to embrace the wilderness that, that being that extremist would require. He called the question for them, he calls the question for us, reminding us that our journey matters. Our actions matter. Our lives matter. And justice anywhere, he said, is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Do you hear the stakes for your journey in those words? You matter. Will you take your journey seriously? Will you be in the wilderness and the confinements of your life and allow God to transform you there? Will you live a deeper story than your immediate satisfaction and comfort? My prayer is that you will allow this season to realign your heart to what is most essential, to being with Jesus in that cell wherever you find yourself. Throughout Lent, we'll be celebrating communion every week to remind us of where our sustenance comes from, to remind us of the food for our hungry souls that Christ is always offering us. And so today, as we come to this table, we're we're invited to ask those questions once again. As we prepare to come to the table today, I invite you to turn to hymn number 507, Come to the Table of Grace.